Anyone here today who's familiar with professional wrestling, you know that a heel turn is when a good guy turns bad. The hero becomes the villain. If you're familiar with that, you remember how Hulk Hogan in the 80s was kind of the all-American hero. We all loved the Hulkster. And then in the 90s, he went NWO, and that was scandalous, and that was shocking. And, and if you were a little kid who watched him your whole life, you were thinking, your world just crumbled before you. What is going on? The goodest of good guy has become a bad guy. And if you don't understand what that means, let me make it a little more personal here today. It would be like Kyle Wells, who is owner-operator at Chick-fil-A, telling us he's going to work at McDonald's. It would be like John Martin repenting of his love for Ronald Reagan in support of communism. be like Rob Rice protesting guns. <laughs> or Robert Purdy talking about defunding the police. Isaac Haskins wearing crimson and saying roll tide. Or Eric Turner actually buying a TV so he can binge watch Taylor Swift concerts. Or my wife rejecting bougie coffee for Folgers and letting everybody know about it, taking pictures on Instagram. If you know these people, it makes sense. Some of you are guests thinking, I am out of the loop. But all of these things are the exact opposite of these people. It may be a little more serious. It would be like Priscilla Keene telling us she's going to a pro-choice rally. Or next week you show up and we say, we have a building plan for you. You know, we're going to build a mosque in Richmond, and we're going to begin to teach the tenets of Islam. That would be scandalous, and that would be shocking. And yet, that's what happens when Paul starts preaching the gospel. And in verse 23, when he says, he is a minister of the gospel, that is the greatest hill turn you could possibly imagine in the New Testament. It's shocking. It's scandalous. Before Acts chapter 9, Paul was the Tiger Woods or Michael Jordan of Judaism, which meant he absolutely despised and hated Christians. He was the logo of everything that was opposed to Christianity. And he woke up one morning headed out to kill Christians. And Jesus Christ shows up personally and literally knocks him off his horse. Not to judge him, but to save him. To rescue him from his religion. To show him himself and then commission him out to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. That is the greatest hill turn. And when the Apostle Paul starts showing up at churches, people would have been scared it would have been like a terrorist that you knew showing up at church. That you knew had killed Christians showing up. What in the world? Where is security? Why is he here? Can we trust him? And then he begins to unpack the glories of the gospel. And I'm sure people said, oh, that's just a ploy. That's just a gimmick. That's just a Trojan horse. He's out to destroy us. 
It is scandalous that Paul here would say he is a minister of the gospel. And he writes Colossians on the other side of persecution. He is the one being persecuted when he writes the letter to Colossae. He is on an all-expense-paid trip in a Roman prison ship to the city of Rome to give an account for the gospel on behalf of all of Christianity. And so he has gone from the face of evil to the face of the gospel. And he is going to give an account for the preaching of the gospel before the power of the world at that time, the Roman Empire. He's going to stand trial as the chief Christian. And that's where he met the pastor of the church at Colossae. Who's asking Paul, my church is struggling. They're starting to believe this heresy that Jesus wasn't flesh and blood sent from heaven. The fullness of God in flesh like you teach, Paul. He was just another emanation or an angel that they worship. What do I do, Paul? And Paul writes this letter to declare the supremacy of Christ in all things. God's supreme king has taken on flesh He has lived a perfect life and He has died for sin. And He has been raised up as supreme so that you would have peace. And that is the only thing you should be preaching in Colossae. And He says this in verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. As He writes this letter to a church who had probably heard of his ventures in stamping out Christianity, he says, now, something different has happened to me because of the supremacy of Christ. And so now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. The Apostle Paul used to issue the sufferings against the church. And now he says, I endure sufferings. For the sake of the church, now as a minister of the gospel, he says, I rejoice, meaning I choose to be glad to suffer. Paul in prison says this is a decision to have joy because I know what it's about. It is for your sake and it is for the glory of Christ. The one who once represented the enemy is now representing the church and enduring suffering on behalf of the church to give testimony to the gospel. But before we move forward, I want to ask you, what are the nows in your life? If you were writing to friends from high school and you would say, now. (laughs) Now is different. What are the things that you would say to your friends from college? Now. (laughs) Now is different. You know the way I used to live, but now. It's the complete opposite. What are the nows in your life? If you ask anyone that I grew up with or went to school with, Haskins is a pastor now. What? Really? He was scared to death to speak in public. How is he a preacher of the gospel? What are the nows in your life? Now she goes to Bible study. Now he's raising his kids to love Jesus. Now he talks about Jesus all of the time. What are the nows in your life? Has there been that transformation of grace in your life? Has there been that hill turn in your life? 
What are the nows in your life? Think about that and praise God for His grace in your life. Notice Paul continues to explain this now in his life. Now I am suffering for the sake of the church. And then he explains what that looks like. He says, in my flesh, now remember this is a big deal in Colossians, flesh and blood, spirituality isn't some mystical thing in a universe far, far away. Jesus died in flesh and blood, and we live out the gospel in flesh and blood. And he says, in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, that is the church. The word fill up means to complete or finish. And he says he's finishing what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. What Christ did at the cross, I'm filling up what is lacking in that. Now let that set in and think. What could possibly be lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the church? What would you say to that question? Well, first of all, there is nothing insufficient in the payment Jesus made for sin at the cross. It's sufficient. Sin is paid for. Jesus, the perfect Son of God, endured all of God's judgment and wrath for your sin. There's nothing lacking in the payment of sin. In that way, there's nothing lacking in the afflictions of Christ. But again, the word fill up means here, means to to complete. It means to bring to fruition. And so another question What must be completed in the afflictions of Christ? What must be brought to fruition? Notice verse 25. Speaking of the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship of God, God gave me this responsibility to serve the church, to serve on behalf of the church. It is a stewardship, a responsibility from God that was given to me for you, he says, verse 25. But notice what his responsibility is. To make The Word of God fully know. That is my mission, Paul says. That's what God has told me to do. To make the Word of God fully known in the world. And what word is he talking about there? The Word of the afflictions of Christ. Paul is completing something here. That Jesus began at the cross. You see, Jesus goes to the cross to die for the sins of all who would believe. The church that is being gathered from the nations who trust and follow Him. He died for their sins. That payment is sufficient. However, that plan is still incomplete. That the church would know Christ and follow Him and be gathered up. And that is what Paul is completing or filling up. He is completing the intentions of Christ to purchase for Himself a church from the nations. That is what He is fulfilling this plan as He goes out and declares the afflictions of Christ. His responsibility to the church is to make known the word of the cross. And that is what He's doing. And that is why He's suffering. Jesus dies to save the church. Paul completes that work by delivering the message of the cross. The church cannot be gathered from the nations without hearing the gospel, hearing of Christ, and believing in Christ. And Paul says, that's what I'm doing and that's why I'm suffering in my flesh on this mission. 
Notice he explains what this mission looks like even further in verse 26. He calls it a mystery. This is something that was once hidden, but now is being revealed in the world. This is something that God has always been doing, and it's always been God's plan that Jesus would have a bride from the nations, and now we see it happening. He says it was hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. Paul is so committed that this was God's plan that he even says the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. This was God's plan. And now the reason for which he suffered at the cross in flesh and blood is being fulfilled as the gospel is being preached. And he says that's a mystery, but it's always been God's plan for the church. He says in verse 27, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles, the nations, that's scandalous here. That's a hill turn. God's all about the Jews. His chosen people promises to bless them. But all of a sudden we see the plan all along is that the nations too would be blessed by God's promises. But he describes here the riches of the glory of this mystery. And here he's referring to the kingdom of Christ that is coming not just to the Jews, but to all who would believe in Christ among the Gentiles, the nations, the non-Jews, the peoples, the cultures of the world. This has always been God's plan. And now we are seeing it through the preaching of the gospel, even in Colossae as there's a church there, which Paul says here, the glory of this mystery is Christ in you. You want to know what God's been about from eternity past? Look around the room. This is what God set out to do in eternity past, to purchase and to secure a bride for His Son from the nations, not just one ethnic group, but any who would believe in Him. And you see it. He says you see the hope of glory. What is the hope of glory? That anyone who believes in Jesus, no matter who you are, can have your sins forgiven. And because Jesus was raised from the dead, you will be raised from the dead when you believe in Him. And you are promised the hope of glory, His eternal kingdom, riches in glory, to rule and reign with Him forever. That is the hope. That is this mystery that he's talking about here. And this is why Paul would suffer for preaching the gospel. Because he understands in the church there is the supremacy of Christ. As you see people from all around the world Cultures, tribes, nations gathered around this one Messiah, God's Messiah. You're seeing this glory. You're seeing the supremacy of Christ, the power of the cross around this one Messiah. The Messiah that God said would bless the nations that would come to the Jews is now blessing the nations. And you see this mystery. And Paul said, I'm willing to suffer for it. If you want to make it more tangible, just look around the room. I would dare say not many of us were born Jews here today. It's possible someone here was. But for the most part, we're all Gentiles. Because we live in Richmond, Kentucky, Gentiles. This is the mystery That was planned by God in eternity past. And here it is in flesh and blood. It's real. Look around the room. At the glory of Christ. The riches of glory. The hope of glory is in you. And how do we see the supremacy of Christ in that? 
we have students. We have senior saints. We have folks with PhDs. We have folks with no high school diploma. We have folks here today that were born and raised in Southern Baptist life. You know what that's all about. Other denominations that you were raised in your whole life. And then we have folks that were saved last week. Here today. And Paul says, look at this plan. All kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds. And no one is hindered by their ethnicity. No one's hindered by their past. And here today, because of Christ, because it's Christ being lifted up, there's no first class. Just because of who you are in the community, it's all about Christ. We come to God through Christ. Nothing else we can offer. No one earns their status in the kingdom of Christ. It's Christ's status that is given to all of us in the same way. It's not through obeying rules, traditions, being good. You see the hope of the gospel in front of you. And you see the supremacy of Christ that He would draw all these kinds of people here today. And you see His glory in diversity here today. That one Christ can save so many different people. And so many different people can delight in this one Christ. He's made supreme in that way. And it should cause you to worship and delight. When you look around the room and you see people who aren't like you. That should cause praise in your soul. People who don't like the same things that you like, but they're singing of the same Christ that you love. It should cause you to love and worship even more fervently. And even some of you, when there are songs that are being sung that aren't your style and aren't your preference, one of the glorious things about this church is, is folks who grew up singing certain things in certain ways. You look around the room and you say, this ain't my gig. But my brothers and sisters love it. And you delight in the church. And Paul says that is a glorious mystery that is unfolding. And here Paul would say it's worth suffering for. Jesus died to make that happen. And so that's why I am willing to suffer and complete this task. Because this is the task Jesus suffered for. And so I want to ask you the question today. What are the sufferings of Christ worth in your own life? If Jesus died to make this happen, how would you suffer and sacrifice for His church? And how would you suffer and sacrifice to see that the nations, people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people, culture, are gathered around this one Messiah from here to the ends of the earth? What would you suffer to see that happen? What is it? Money? Give so other people can go? What about your career? What about what you're doing? Would you give that up to go preach the gospel to those who have never heard? Some of you have heard the stories of our Peru trip just a few weeks ago. And they're not hallmarkish. We have folks who were very sick on that trip. And I know Eric's cringing. Don't tell people that. Nobody else will go. Would you suffer the risk of maybe getting sick on a mission trip just to go serve the people of the nation so that they would hear the gospel? Would you send your kids and grandkids, and I know grandparents here get upset when I say that, 
would you would you push and and maybe as your as your kids and grandkids are deciding what they're going to do hey how about missionary would you train them to go spend their life among the nations what would you suffer Maybe for some of us it's just suffering the awkward intimidation, working up the courage to speak to our coworker this week. To suffer in that way, to witness the gospel. But what is it for you that you would suffer for the sake of the gospel? To see this mystery unfold here and to the ends of the earth. When Paul says, this is how we do it, beginning in verse 28. He's described what he's doing in securing the church for Christ, in suffering and preaching the gospel. And then he says, here's how we do it. Verse 28, Him we proclaim. He's died for the church, but it is Him we proclaim. Him, Christ, is the content of Paul's message. And it is to be the content of all proclamation of the church. Whether it's the preacher, pastor, or the church, we are to proclaim Him the one who is revealed in the Bible, the story of the Bible is about Him. It's about Christ. And we have been given the Bible to proclaim Him from Genesis to Revelation. Jesus is the content of the message that we preach here to the ends of the earth. But then he explains how Christ is preached. And here he describes the preacher as an evangelist, a prophet, a teacher, and a sage. Notice he says, we proclaim... We declare. The word means to herald. All preaching of the gospel is to be a public announcement that Jesus is here. And Jesus is King. You can have a variety of styles and a variety of context, but ultimately, preaching the gospel, evangelism even, is the announcement of Jesus. It's like going into a village and saying, there is a king coming. There is a king coming. Listen to me. There is a king coming. And he wants to forgive you of all that you've done wrong against him. And if you do not turn to him before he gets here, he's going to overtake you and punish you for all that you've done against him. I'm telling you, there is a king coming. There is a king coming who's secured your allegiance to Him already. There is a King coming who has secured your freedom. If you would believe in Him, trust in Him, you are to announce the arrival of Jesus. That is the proclamation of the church. And Paul says that's why he's suffering. But notice he says, next, how is Christ preached? Warning everyone. The word means to caution or admonish. Some people translate this counsel. And it means to put good sense into someone's head. To, to counsel them in what is good for them, which is to turn to Christ. <laughs> that is good counsel for everyone here today, no matter what you're going through. Don't turn away from Christ. Turn to Christ. We warn prophetically, and then we teach. Notice he says, warning everyone and teaching everyone, explaining who Jesus is and what he requires from the pages of Scripture. And Jesus told us as we make disciples, we are to teach them all he commanded. And preaching is to do that. The proclamation of the gospel is to do that. Even in evangelism, it is to be discipleship 
in teaching all that Jesus commanded. You have a new king. You must follow him. Paul says we are to teach the whole counsel of God, which is about Christ. And notice he says we do this with all wisdom. Now, wisdom isn't just knowing things. It's knowing and doing. It's knowledge applied. It's not just information and having a lot of information even about the Bible. It's living it out. And so Paul says, we announce Jesus. We warn, don't turn from Jesus. And then we teach how to live for Jesus. And then we take the Bible and we press it. And say, this isn't just information. You've got to go out into the world and live it. That's what preaching should be. Especially from the pulpit. An announcement of Jesus. Warning. Don't turn from Jesus. This is what it means. Teaching who Jesus is and what He requires. And then pressing application. This is what it's going to mean for your life this week. Now Paul says this preaching later in Colossians chapter 3. And Clay just preached on that a few weeks ago. As these things are done in the church. The warning, the admonishing, the teaching is done. It then overflows into the community. And what goes on from the pulpit, what goes on from the proclamation, works itself out in the community, and then everyone is teaching and admonishing each other about Christ. That's what we do in our BFGs. There's proclamation here from the Word of God, and then we gather in those small groups and we teach and we admonish one another. This is what it's going to mean to live out the wisdom in your life this week. This is how this works out in the context of a church. Proclamation leads to edification of the believers. But then notice next, why is Christ preached? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. The word present there is to deliver to a judge, an official for evaluation. It's like taking something to scales. (laughs) This is how much it weighs and this is how much it is lacking and this is how much it's going to cost you. To present in this way. And so Paul says, I preach Christ because I have to present everyone that I'm responsible for to Christ. Every soul here hearing my voice right now will stand before a holy God. I will give an account for what I say to you today. In some sense, I am preaching, thinking about your death and your eternity. And Paul says, that's why I preach Christ. Because I want, when you stand before God, notice he says, you to be mature in Christ. Now often we, we think about the word here as growth. Growing in Christ. Surely we want to do that. But it's better translated complete in Christ, not wanting. And so when you stand before a holy God, the end of your life, I don't want you to be incomplete. And the only way you're going to be incomplete is if you're not in Christ. That's why I preach Christ. So that you would stand before God complete in Him. And only in Him will you be complete. Lacking nothing. Last week we talked about in the verses Jesus died to present you holy and blameless and above reproach to God, before God. 
This is why Jesus died on the cross, so that you would be out without sin before God. And that is the goal of preaching, that you would stand before God sinless. But how does that happen? How does preaching Christ make us complete? Well, go back to verse 23 just for a second. Paul says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. And last week we talked about how Jesus is the object of our faith. And we talked about genuine faith. It's not momentary. When you trust Christ and you believe the gospel, you continue to cling to Christ and the gospel. It is your only hope to the end. And Paul says, that's why I preach Christ, so that you would continue in the faith. In Romans chapter 10, we were asked this question, where does faith come from? Faith comes from hearing the word of Christ. And Paul says that's what he's preaching for, is that you would believe and have faith in Christ. And so he lifts Christ up, and we proclaim Christ here today, and we lift him up so that you would have faith in him. First of all, that you would believe in him to have your sins forgiven, so that you would trust in him alone to be justified, declared right before God, as if though you had never sinned and you always obeyed. When you believe in Him, His cross is credited to you. His life is credited to you. And you can stand before God holy, without blame, without reproach. You can stand before God complete and perfect before a holy God. And only in Christ can you do that. And so we proclaim Christ so that you would believe in Him and trust in Him so that you will be Complete before a holy God. The preacher prepares you to die by believing in Christ, but he also walks you to death by saying, don't turn from Christ. Remember, if indeed you continue in the faith, keep clinging to Christ. So that's why we preach Christ every week. You got to cling to Him. Keep clinging to Him. Week's been hard. Keep clinging to Christ. Come, Come see Christ again. See Christ lifted up so you can cling to See what He's done on the cross. See how good He is. Cling to Him. That's why you proclaim Christ week in and week out. And that's the goal of preaching. That's the goal of discipleship in the church. To proclaim Christ for a faith that never turns from Christ. That's why around here we don't move on to something better. When you become a Christian, you say, okay, I got that step. I believe. Now I'm going to heaven. Now I got to move on to some other things. I got to move up the ladder, sort of the Jedi Christian ladder, and get better at this Christian thing. You don't move on to something else. And we don't proclaim anything else. Even in discipleship, we think I'm a Christian now. I got to learn how to read my Bible, evangelism. I got to learn how to manage my finances. I got to learn all these next things. How do I I move on to those things? Well, we proclaim Christ. Because if we lift Christ up, you see His glory, you're going to want to read your Bible, which is about Christ. We proclaim Christ, you're going to want to pray to the Father because Christ has secured that for you and now you're a son in the Son. So we proclaim Christ. Even with things like finances, we lift up Christ. I want to surrender my finances to Christ. And the resources He's given me to make much of Him. That's why we always proclaim Christ. We don't move on to anything better. And Paul says this, verse 29, For this I toil, 
In this work of proclaiming Christ, he says, I toil. And the word means to work to the point of exhaustion. To labor with weariness and sorrow. To engage the stress of proclaiming Christ. That's why I take that upon myself to work, to proclaim Christ. Because I want you complete in Christ. I want Christ exalted. I want your faith strengthened. And so I work to the point of weariness, Paul says here. And he says struggling with all his energy. The word struggle means to strive even with agony like an athlete who is absolutely completely exhausted, and he's trying to cross the finish line. He's given it all he's got to get to the end. Paul says, that's what I do so that you may know Christ. I used to think it was humorous. Guys would go into ministry because it was easy. You would think, yeah, I'm lazy and love Jesus. Let's be a pastor. It doesn't work well. I can tell you that. It's hard work to proclaim Christ. It's agonizing work. Paul says he's stricken with anxiety for the churches because he wants them to see and believe Christ. He engages in this task for the sake of the church. Charles Spurgeon was once asked, this man had a just overwhelming work week. He would work 18 hours a week. He would preach all the time, teach all the time, had orphanages, was meeting with people. Someone once asked him, Mr. Spurgeon, how do you do so much? How does one man do so much? And he said, you forget, dear sir, there are two of us working, which is what Paul says here. He struggles with all his energy because it is his energy that he powerfully works in me. And so Paul is laboring, but what's he laboring in? Not his own strength, not his own wisdom. Many people would look at the Apostle Paul and say, ah, he can barely walk. He's been beaten so much. He's not impressive physically. He can barely speak now. Paul says, it's not just me working. I am toiling and I am struggling with all His energy that powerfully works in me. And how do we do that? How do we work in the power of God to work in us? If we go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus promised that the Spirit of God would come down and rest upon us and give us power to witness. The Spirit of God supernaturally empowers us, the believer, to declare that Jesus is King. And so the Spirit works in us to declare Jesus is King. We've also seen in Colossians that it is God's primary goal to make Jesus supreme. How does He do that? Paul says, Him we proclaim through the proclamation of Christ. And so if you want to work with God's power and you want to see God's power powerfully work within you, proclaim Christ. That's God's goal. That's the Spirit's role is to exalt Christ. The Spirit's even given us a whole book about Christ that we proclaim Him from. That it, this is the Spirit's word about Christ. And so you want the power of God in your life, in your ministry, 
in your discipleship, in your counsel, in your parenting. Proclaim Christ. That's where the power of God resides. That's where the Spirit of God wants to work. That's where God meets us to do work is in the proclamation of Christ from His Word. We are so convinced today that our problems are so complicated, Christ can't do anything about them. And we need something other than Christ to fix them. That's not biblical. All of our issues and problems and struggles have to begin here. And this is where the power of God is on display. If you want power in your life, always ask the question, how much of the Bible are you reading? How much time are you spending in prayer asking God to reveal Himself in the Word so that you might trust Him and obey Him? How much are you doing that? Let's start there. Wherever we go to next, are you proclaiming Christ to yourself? Because this is where Paul says the power of God works. It works in Him to proclaim to others. How much are you willing to work to get into the Word of God? And notice here, just because God is working... Through His Word, the Word of God is living and it's active. It doesn't mean we're dead and lazy. No, it's work. It's toil to proclaim the Gospel. We plan. We study. We invite. We work hard to proclaim the Gospel. Church isn't some luxury cruise. We're on a mission. We're on a warship. And we work hard to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. We work hard as a church to do that. Doesn't mean we're lazy in the proclamation of the gospel. How much are you willing to work to see the power of God in this place and in your life? You know, I was thinking this week. If you look across this room and and we have more and more people here week after week after week. And the question is, how do you address all of the issues that people come in and struggle with? Doubts, fears. There's marriages at crisis. There's doubt. There's depression. There's friendships that need fixed. There's parenting issues in this room right now. All kinds of things are before me. How do you figure out what everyone needs? Hey, let's do a study on this. Let's do a study on this. When are you going to do this? When are you going to do this? This is why we do expositional preaching. We just pick books of the Bible and go through. When are you going to do a marriage study? It's coming. It's it's, it's just a few chapters away. How do you figure out what everybody needs? Everyone needs Christ. Everyone needs to look to Him. And Jesus said this. He said, if the Son of Man is lifted up, He will draw all men to Himself. What's interesting is the word there in John used over and over. I had a friend remind me of that this week. It's actually drag. 
If Christ is lifted up in all of His glory and you see all of His beauty and you have eyes of faith to see it and believe it, it is almost as if the Spirit of God is dragging you to Him. That's why we exalt Christ week after week. And so maybe you're here today and you're lost. You've never believed in Christ. And if you don't believe in Him today, I'm warning you, you will spend eternity without Him. I'm warning you, Look to Christ by faith. Be found in Him at the cross. Believe in Him today. Maybe you're here today and you're struggling with sin. You just can't get away from it. We want to exalt Christ. We want to sing about Christ so that you see His beauty and you see His goodness. And you can realize by faith today that He is better than sin. Maybe you're here today and you're suffering and you're on the verge of doubting that God is good. We exalt Christ and we tell you today He died for your sins at the cross. He is more than good to you. Trust in Him. Don't turn away from Him in your suffering. Maybe you're here today and you're worn out and you're trying to do more and and you're trying to do more for Jesus. That's why you're here today and you're volunteering for every possible thing you can do and it just doesn't seem to be enough and you're worn out. We want to exalt Christ. We want to tell you today, by faith in Him, you will be complete before God and it's not all that you're doing. It's only in Christ. We want to lift Christ up so that you may be drawn to Him and you may believe in Him and you may trust in Him today. Maybe you're here today and you are dying. And you don't know when the end's coming. Weeks, months, years. We lift Christ up. We lift Christ up, the one who has defeated sin, and he is seated at the right hand of God, and he is a former corpse who reminds, who tells you today, declares to you today, if you believe in him, you will be raised from the dead. You see? You need Christ, and we proclaim Christ. We want people leaving every week, not saying that was a great sermon. But man, that was a great Savior. He is a great Savior. Not that was a great BFG. We have a great Savior. Not that was a great Bible study. We have a great Savior because that's what we need. You know, there was an even greater hill turn than Saul who became Paul. It was when Jesus became a rebel at the cross. That's the greatest hill turn. Perfect Son of God becomes crucified slave at the cross. The good guy becomes the bad guy so that in Him you might become the righteousness of God. At the end of the day, Him we proclaim. Look to Him today.